Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Jim Rowley serves as Chief Executive Officer of Crunch Fitness, a veteran of the fitness industry since 1992. Jim leads the executive team responsible for day-to-day operations, franchising, development, and marketing of the brand's 315 locations across its Crunch Signature and Crunch Franchise portfolio. Before beginning his fitness career, Mr. Rowley proudly served his country for eight years as a U.S. Marine, including three-year assignment with the State Department, Marine Security Guard Battalion, and Combat Tour with Task Force Ripper during the Persian Gulf War. Jim Rowley, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Nice to be here, Jeffrey. Thank you. Hey, I got to ask my first question for you. When this hit you, and I mean, what was the first, when this, this whole COVID thing hit you, and in state by state, they were telling you, because it wasn't the same for every state. You know, one state would say open, one would, wouldn't, the other ones would close, other ones would say, hey, you can stay open if you want, uh, but there's some risk to it. How, how have you dealt with the impact on the business side of this for your, for your operation? Look, it was almost spontaneous combustion. We saw it coming a little bit. You started to see the news flashes that something was happening. And by March 16th, it was as if, uh, you know, we had to really start to begin strategizing. We have over 100 franchisees that make up our network, and we've got 55 owned properties. So immediately it was understanding which states were shutting down or which counties or regions were shutting down and being incredibly proactive. Our first priority, as always, take care of our team. Our second priority, take care of our members. And our third priority is ensure that our shareholders are taken care of as well. So we started to work that paradigm. We had built an emergency action plan. You know, my history in the Marine Corps had always kind of led me to be prepared, right? So have a plan, be prepared, and and execute. So we had an EAP that we had used during hurricanes. Uh, We've got clubs in Florida. We've got clubs in in the Northeast and so forth. So we had to break out the EAP and understand what elements of that would help us um, with the shutdown, communication, payroll, uh, talking to the members, talking to the team members and so forth, and understanding just just closing the physical gyms as well. So that was the first action. Um, I brought my, my executive team together and uh, for the next, call it seven days, 10 hours a day, really just walking through our preparation, our planning and communication. Yeah, so I'm curious. I'm always curious how the the executive teams work because each one has its own kind of feel to it and the way in which you do it. Were you guys normally in the headquarters operations together, and then how did that change, or what changed as part of this last couple months? It's a good question. We're rarely together. I'm based in Northern California. Uh, Ben Midgley, who runs my franchise company, is based in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, Keith Wirtz, who runs our owned company, is based in Manhattan. My CFO's in Manhattan. We've got another senior executive, Craig Pevendana, who's in Jacksonville, Florida. So we've been using Zoom for a long time. Zoom has been you know, part of our arsenal. So that was a very comfortable format. So the first call on March 17th, 7 a.m. in the morning was a Zoom call. And that's how we started to bring everybody together. 
And then how often are you guys getting together as a team? I'm just kind of curious about that pace, you know, because we each of us develops our own kind of pace through these things. And we we ramped it up in our own operation, but we also took it down a little bit because we did too much of it. Yeah, so Zoom in March was daily, uh, including Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and then it went to four days a week and then three days a week. And now we're, we're probably averaging three days a week uh, on Zoom calls. Um, right now we're in the reopening phase. So the activity has changed to being active in the gyms instead of on the on the computer. Uh, and the other piece of it is you, you've got something that's unique and you've got franchise operations. So these are independent business owners that are operating under your license, your franchise. What's that conversation been like and how often are you getting together with them? And then what's and then I'm curious to see what the, their biggest takeaway from all this has been. Yeah, we're very fortunate. So we, we believe it's important to stay small to grow large. So we've got only 100 franchisees that make up north of 1,000 units that have been sold, and 340-ish are open right now. Our entrepreneur network, um, 99% are owner-operators, many of which have had very successful entrepreneurial careers prior to joining Crunch, many of which were in the fitness business before. So we're incredibly fortunate. It's not just a tell uh, on my side. It's also a listen. So we've got franchisees that have really helped us through the transition as well, understanding what, what's happening in their geography, specific to their region. And then, as you can imagine, the opening wasn't all at once. So as an example, we got a lot of key learnings reopening out of Florida and Texas. Um, and, and our leaders in Florida and Texas and, um, and the, the other parts of the Midwest that opened early, we were fortunate they were some of our top franchise, franchisees as well. So the key learnings that were coming back, it's paid off in spades. So are you now with everybody going back right now, what, what's your biggest concern? I mean, what, what are you most concerned about? Because like right now this morning, right an hour before this call today, I had my team meeting and we're talking about our back to work plan and how we're going to space people out, put people and so forth. But I'm very concerned about, you know, what happens if they get sick? What, what do we do? What's our contingency plan? If I throw everybody into the office all at the same time and one person infects everybody, then it shuts my whole operation down. I mean, what are you concerned about with uh, the reopenings? Yeah, I'm less concerned about, um, well, I'll take that question in a couple parts. One, we wrote a 37-page readiness plan. So the one thing that was afforded to us was time. So yeah. we took our, our EAP, our, our emergency action plan, and we, we, we looked at all the key features on that. And then we wrote a new plan we called the readiness plan. 37 pages, comprehensive, soup to nuts. From the minute you get to our front door to the minute you exit our gym, what happens in terms of sanitation, hygiene, contact, cleanliness, personal training. Imagine that, being a personal trainer and having to stay six feet away from your client. Yeah, and not – not- yeah, and not be able to touch them and say, get your butt down or get it right. up or what, you know, those kind of things, right? Or even even the high five that we all need, right? So uh-huh. um, all those things have been eliminated. So we, we, we wrote every consideration possible. So I'm not as concerned about club operations. What I'm concerned about is the R word, which is the rebound, that we have to go through this again. Uh, yeah. that, that's my most concerning thing as a CEO. It's, it's operations-wise, we're, we're ready um, we're already demonstrating that in 150 clubs. Sales have been tremendous. Our members have been fantastic. The, the level of excitement has been almost emotional. I've had the opportunity to get out into my clubs and talk to my members and talk to my team. And uh, 
it's, it's just tremendous the, the feedback that we're getting, not only in terms of thankful that we're prepared, thankful that we're open, um, but just you can see the relief of avid exercisers just to get on a treadmill or an elliptical or lift weights or whatever it might be. It's, it's, it's one of the most rewarding parts of this job and why I've been doing it for 30 plus years. Yeah, I just want to go on record about the high five, this elbow bump. It ain't ever going to take off. I don't care, people. I don't like it. You know, this whole elbow bump, I just don't get it yet. It's so dead on arrival. Dead on arrival, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I'd rather do an I agree air with high you. five than an elbow bump, for sure. Yeah, I like air five. Somebody mentioned that in the chat room. Air high five. Let's start Let's start spreading that. You, how, What do you do? You, know, you seem like the kind of guy, Jim, especially Marine background, just, you know, getting a sense of who you are. That you're you're a very you know emotional like let's go gung ho I would I would suspect that, and what do you do to enthuse the team right now? You know it's interesting it's it's a really good question. Don't let my Marine Corps demeanor uh, let you think that I'm not good at inspiring people. I'm not a hard ass all the time, right? So, um, <laughs> look, we work, we work, we have a very young team. The average age of our team member is 25 years old. So, um, different generation than I am and so forth. But we really try to stay connected through all the same qualities and characteristics that anybody was raised with. Treat others the way you want to be treated, right? Inspiration can come from a lot of different sources. And to be honest with you, my team inspires me probably more than I inspire them. But one thing that we're doing is, is just ensuring that the environment, that we're working on, on two things, two key things. We're telling the team members to be present and be patient. And by present, meaning out on the floor, working with your members, talking to your team members, listening. There's a lot of people with a lot of pent-up emotion. This is exciting for a lot of people, but it's also a very anxious period where they don't want to get sick. They don't know what to expect. So it's hard for a lot of people to walk into a gym already because they've got their own fears about how they might look or whether they're fit enough or whatever. Crunch is open to everybody. We, we have no judgments. We are the original no judgments, no judgments gym. So we're accepting of, of everyone from all walks of life, first of all. But that still doesn't mean that people come in apprehensive. Now you throw a pandemic on top of that, the apprehension even grows. So what we really try to say is be present and be patient, okay? The other thing is, on a lot of the literature we put in our gyms, uh, we've talked about hand sanitation, contactless check-in, and everything else. But for every other poster where we're telling people how to stay clean in the gyms and how to perform and operate the gyms, we're saying be kind, be mindful of others, and be considerate to each other. So every third poster is reminding us to be human. Be kind, be mindful, be considerate, because it is a trying time for everybody. What do you think, um, is the business going to bounce back? Is it bouncing back? What's been the, the uptick where you've already opened such in the early states like Florida or Texas and in some of those states? What are, you, what are you getting as a trend? So you asked earlier, what, what's in, what can I do to inspire my team? My team is inspired by high sales volume. And uh, our sales volume has been incredibly high. So we're seeing um, a significant spike. We track everything. We track more statistics than Major League Baseball, if you can imagine that. So <laughs> um, our sales volume has been high. Our cancels have been relatively steady. Our usage has been low. So we've got less people actually coming in. I think that's due to apprehension and people just wanting us to maybe work out the bugs. But more people are joining. So for the first time in the history of the fitness industry, Netflix is on our side. Everybody watched so much Netflix for 100 days 
and ate the cookies and the cakes and the pies and the and the burritos. Now they're feeling that Netflix uh, maybe wasn't so great, so they're joining the gym. Have you moved anything online? Have you done any kind of courses where you're doing it online and you get more interactive where I don't have to come into the gym? I mean, because I might be apprehensive or whatever. I mean, I watched a yoga instructor who had a, a yoga uh, studio and she said, my business is over, my business is over. And I, I talked to her and I said, why don't you just do the courses online? And now our business is up 40%. So are you doing some of that as well? Yeah, so we had that pre-COVID. We had a, a, a digital format called Crunch Live where you, we had over 100 classes that you could take, and it was subscribed to by over 138 countries. Crunch is just not a domestic brand. It's, it's an international brand. MTV made us famous. Sex in the City made us famous in the 90s, so our brand is very recognized. We were doing probably 2,000 workouts a day on Crunch Live pre-COVID, and that spiked as high as 90,000 a day during the uh, March and April timeframe. It's come down a little bit, obviously, as clubs have, have reopened. But yes, we've got that format. We also launched a new format in April um, called Lift, uh, or with a company called Lift, where we could do personal training via computer one-on-one with a telestrator. The personal trainers could comment to their team members. They could telestrate on the device and so forth. So that's been quite successful. We've done thousands of sessions with Lift as well. Uh, that I mean, that's just fantastic. A lot of people are saying, what's the number one uh, at-home exercise that people are doing right now or should be doing? Whatever gets you off your couch and out of your kitchen. It's, it's going to be different for everybody. So yeah. um, it, in my opinion, go for a walk if you can. Just get out, stretch those legs, get in your 10,000 steps. If you can do body weight, um, you can do body weight squats, body weight push-ups. You can do take two soup cans and do a lot of different curls. You can do lateral raises, military press. There's so many different things. YouTube has a plethora uh, of, of videos and so forth. But Crunch Live is a great place to start from beginners to advanced, and it's free. So how are you fighting off other competitors that you see out there like Peloton and, and some of the others that are popping up? not a fight. It's a compliment, really. A lot of, we've done enough study. Uh, we've got Bain uh, do a lot of research on this. The majority of people that have Peloton or have Mirror and so forth, they also have gym memberships. Those are people that are hyper enthusiasts. So they don't necessarily abandon their health club to have Peloton. They bring Peloton in for the days when they can't get to their gym. Mm-hmm. What about, I saw an interview where you said your mom taught you some great leadership lessons. What are those? So my mom got cancer at 38 years old and she passed away when she was 40. Um, I was in the Marine Corps um, for the last couple of years, but uh, um, the Marine Corps saw fit to bring me back. Uh, I was working um, out of an embassy in Europe and they saw fit to bring me back when she was in stage four terminal cancer. And I was able to still work as a Marine from seven in the morning till four in the afternoon. And then I would take her to her chemo and her hospital or doctor's appointments from four to six, six thirty, and then care for her at night. And then at midnight, uh, I'm sorry, at 10 PM, I would go work in a local gym and I'd be the closer. So I'd work till midnight, pick up the gym and everything else, just earn a little extra money. Um, and what my mom taught me was courage through adversity. Uh, mm. not giving up, persevering, giving everything you've got. She taught me to be either a shepherd or a wolf, never to be a sheep. Um, I mean, just the, you know, the things um, 
be who you are. Don't conform. Um, yeah. you know, my mom was 17 years old when, when she had myself and my twin brother. Um, that, that took a lot of courage in the 1960s. She walked in her high school uh, graduation with her cap and gown, nine months pregnant, had my brother and I 10 days later. So she demonstrated perseverance and courage and set the example for me for a long time. I should also mention my father was a Marine. My grandfather was in the Navy for 25 years, but attached to a Marine unit the whole time. So I've had great leadership examples, but uh, the most profound was, was my mother. And unfortunately, she passed at 40 years old. I'm sorry to hear that. And thank, by the way, thank you for your service as well. My father was in the military and, and all I think most of us that uh, we, we all have someone that we're touched to in that way, which is awesome. That's inspiring. It's inspiring to hear that. The, the, another question, this comes from Jenny. Jenny's uh, of, out of Chicago. She's actually a GNC franchise E as well. So I know this. And so she's asking the question, you know, in post COVID or, or maybe what you're doing right now, are you in a sales mode for more to open more corporate locations or franchise locations? It's, it's, it's a balance. So we, re, we run two companies. We have a franchise company, which Ben Midgley runs, and we have an owned company, which Keith Wirtz runs. And they're each independent in their verticals. Uh, they both report to me. Keith is looking for opportunities. You know, there's a certain gym that was open 24 hours a day that has announced closures across the country. Um, that's mm-hmm. going to create opportunities for us. There's a certain gym that uh, was very famous on Venice Beach that is closed clubs uh, through their bankruptcy, and there will be others to close. So my teams are being advantageous. Uh, ben is harvesting leads for the franchise division as well. So we are, we are not sitting on our hands. We are incredibly active with landlords all across the country. Yeah, what's your, what do you think is the biggest opportunity for you looking forward? I mean, the biggest opportunity for us is, A, just to get back to 340 gyms being open. Um, we, look, we've been fortunate. We, we were able to sell franchises during the shutdown. Yeah. So we still had people wow. that showed great interest in, in maybe leaving their corporate job, leaving the C-suite and saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to follow my passion. So we sold a lot of franchisees. So we're excited to onboard uh, those new members as well. But I think just look, getting going from 340 to zero, sitting at zero for a hundred days and then trickling out 10, 20, 30 at a time. Now we're at 150. We've still got nearly 200 gyms to open over between now and August. And as everybody heard yesterday, New York has uh, now moved gyms out of phase four. Uh, so we're literally flying blind in, in New York a little bit. But look, we're staying focused on our mission, which is. Uh, our team members, the safety of our team members, get them back to work, get them earning, uh, you know, their wages, the safety of our members. And we've been very comprehensive. We've spent a lot of money while making no money preparing for this day. Um, and it's really about just the safety, health and well-being of our team and then getting back to being a business. Yeah, and people are saying, and it's interesting to watch our chat. They're saying that gyms are being really missed. You mentioned about your your team. I'll ask you this last question, and then I'll turn it over to Ro for some other ones. But you 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 mentioned about your team members uh, giving you a, a lot of uh, ideas and and you know the ways in which you did say. Where else are you getting innovations from? What are your customers coming uh, through with any kind of suggestions or any kind of input on? Hey, go do this, do this. I wouldn't say it's been a lot from the custom, from the member base. We, we have received a couple. It's really been through exploration. Um, we've identified a company that has an air filtration system that actually purifies the air, 
has a, uh, a chemical magnetic resolution that actually puts it back out in a non-toxic form and adheres to hard surfaces and kills COVID-19. That was like a windfall. And that was a referral from a close friend of mine that owns gyms in the Northeast. Um, the, the beauty of that is, look, one thing that's hard to do in a gym is, is, is refresh the air. We're in there, we're in a box, we're sweating, we're human, yeah. we create funk, right? This machine makes gyms smell like hospitals. And I mean, clean, not smell like the, the yeah. chemicals in a hospital, as clean as a hospital. So we're very encouraged by that. Um, and we've been looking for, for a lot of different devices, whether it's the, the misting devices that kill the uh, COVID device. But what we found is just members practicing good hygiene after their workout is the best. We've got spray bottles and paper towels, a lot of literature. I mean, our clubs it almost looks like a sticker book right now. Remain six feet apart. Be kind, be considerate, be mindful. Make sure you spray down the equipment. So we're real, we, we probably went a little overboard compared to what I see at a lot of other businesses where they're doing almost nothing. Um, our teams are masked. Our teams uh, are getting their temperature taken to ensure that they're healthy as they come in. So, I mean, the irony is the healthier you are, the better off you're going to be to fight this pandemic. Right. So that's what's been crazy about why we, I mean, tattoo parlors and massage parlors are opening in San Francisco before gyms. Nothing against those industries. I think they're tremendous, but I don't understand why we've been put in this dangerous box. Nobody's been able to explain it to me. Yeah. Well, I don't think we could ever say that logic is part of the legislative process. That's the, that's the one that we could probably all agree to. Although they've done a fairly decent job in trying to help most businesses out. I will give them that credit. But there's a lot of this going on, like camping got shut down. Camping. Are you kidding me? I had the CEO of KOA Campgrounds uh, on and they shut down camping. It, it Listen, in South Dakota, we like that. OK, that's where I'm from. We like that. We've been practicing physical distance since 1889 and camping's part of that. So maybe they should do that. C-Suite Radio. Hey, Ro, let's let's go to the let's go to the members. Let's go to our audience. Let's uh, see what kind of questions they've got. Absolutely. And Jim, thank you for your service to the nation. Indeed. For your support. And I want you to know that I was a member over here in Hollywood for Crunch at one time. Well, uh, a lot of band, people, bro. Huh? Let's have you back. I know. You, people are missing gyms. I'm missing my waist. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> time to get back. Um, Bob wants to know about masks. How are you handling masks in the gym? So we're asking members to wear masks upon entry, upon exit, any loitering that they do in the locker room or the lobbies or so forth, they wear a mask. Um, we're recommending that they wear a mask while they work out. But for some people, it's incredibly difficult to be exercising, breathing hard and having that mask going in and out of your mouth and so forth. Uh, and the other thing is we're practicing safe and social distancing. So um, if, if, if it's impossible for you to wear a mask while you're in the club and less legislated where it's mandatory, uh, we're not we're not requiring it. But upon entry and exit, loitering lobby, yes. Yeah. Vera wants to know, did Crunch have sufficient reserves to weather the storm? Great Planning for the next pandemic, what would you do differently? Yeah. The second part of that question is uh, incredibly loaded. The first part, uh, we did have reserves. We had a significant amount of cash on our balance sheet that allowed us not only to sustain through the shutdown, but I was able to pay our team members um, after we um, closed the clubs, I paid them for a full pay period. And then during uh, uh, the majority of the furlough, I paid their health benefits portion as well. So we had reserves to do that. 
We immediately went into forecasting, business analysis, and so forth to understand how long our cash reserves would last. We did draw down on a revolver that we had, so we had a credit facility, and uh, we've been able to last. And I should mention, we've received nothing from the government. We you didn't, you didn't get the matter. PPP? No PPP? Our franchisees yep. have, but as yeah. French corporate, our corporation and our franchise company have received zero. Um, too small to, to matter and too big to qualify. And through our affiliation with TPG Growth, uh, we, we have received nothing. So everything we've done, we've sustained ourselves. And what about the leases? Were, were people working with you on that end for the different gyms? You've touched a nerve, bro. Um, we've had some landlords that have been tremendous. And they've worked with us. They've worked side by side. They understand that, that we're making no money. We've had some that have allowed for deferrals, meaning they're going to get their money, but we've deferred the payment. We've had some that have been um, just assassins, just coming after us with um, termination letters, threatening lawsuits, filing lawsuits, um, just impossible. Um, and, and it's hard to imagine that uh, – they don't understand that this isn't something that we're doing by choice. Uh, we're making absolutely no money. And, and you know, I, I would have preferred that we would have stood together and come up with a resolution. But uh, some of our landlords chose to take a very negative approach. That, I assume they go on the list, right, Jim? I mean, yeah, I have a list. list. <laughs> yeah, I have a list like that. For everybody that don't know that we always keep lists like that. And you should have a list like that. You always remember who your friends are. And you, by the way, it's, I always say this, Jim, it's a rule of a third, a third of them are great. A third of them will work with you and a third of them won't. That's just always the way it is. Like a third of, a third of everybody gets it. Third will eventually get it. And the third never will. That's, uh, that's yeah, you can always usually apply those rules to pretty much everything. I apply the good old bell curve, 20, 60, 20. So 20% actually abated yeah. our rent. Said you don't have to pay. We under, we're in this together. We get it. 60% kind of worked on a deferral basis and they're helping us remedy the situation. And 20% were just, uh, as I've already outlined. Yeah. How about that second part of the question? What What do you think you're going to put in place again to say you had you had the you know, emergency action plan, which, you know, for the hurricanes, you can adjust it because it's the same kinds of things. What do we tell the customers? What do we tell our employees? What do we tell our, you know, our vendors? What do we, you know, all those kind of things. What, what else might you put in there? Um, because because the chances are we're going to see something again. Now, hopefully it's never to the point where it's going to shut us down. If it shuts us down, we got bigger problems in this country uh, for all of us. But what are you going to do in your emergency plan next time around? What are you going to put in there that, that, that you didn't have before? Well, we wrote, we wrote the nearly 40-page readiness plan, and I don't think that plan goes away. I, I think that our, our sanitation yeah. and hygiene and cleaning uh, – Systems that we put in place now, those become general operations. We don't we don't relax those standards. The money we've invested in cleaning stations, products, spray bottles, towels, club wipes, that all will be maintained going forward. And I think that's the biggest thing is is what do you what do you do going forward? We maintain the level of cleanliness that we we've uh, we've put into operations. In terms of everything else, I, what we've prepared is what we can do. If, if we get shut yeah. down again, I think you said it best. The whole world will be breached at that point. If there's yeah, if it, it'll be a different cataclysmic, hey. complete shutdown. We're in dark yeah. waters. Let me give you a give. Uh, somebody just wrote me privately, and I want to. He has a, a magazines in New York City. He said he wants to promote all your New York City properties with compliments. So he's going to do that. So we'll reach out and connect you. Thank you, Eli Marcus. He's got a great New York magazine. 
and he wants to help you out with that. That'd be great. Much much appreciated. Look forward to discussing. There we love. Okay, Ro, what's another great question? We got this some good stuff. Yeah, Jenna asked, and this has been a recurring theme throughout, is vulnerability and how that plays into leadership. How has being vulnerable helped or hurt you, especially during this time when so many of us are and just have to be? How has vulnerability worked for you? An amazing question. And somebody who's very smart in doing their own kind of self-reflection. Somebody who asked that question is, is in the right place mentally. Um, in my early days, um, I lacked it. I lacked uh, humility and I was just charging ahead, gung-ho. Um, you're either with me or you're against me. And I succeeded, um, but I carried a lot um, on my back and I left a big wake uh, of destruction and so forth. Um, I had to learn through a 360 evaluation in the 1990s where peer review, um, leadership review, and then uh, team review gave me some very direct feedback um, in terms of approachability and vulnerability. And from that point forward, um, I didn't poo-poo the review and say, they're wrong, I'm right. I listened and I learned and I responded with being more open to communication, being more open to direct criticism even of my leadership style and understanding where I could change. And I've tried to adapt. I'm not perfect. I'm an imperfect person seeking perfection, but um, that that's helped me a lot. Just uh, um, amazing question. One of the best questions somebody's ever asked me. Well, that's but Jenna it, Rodriguez. Jenna, give yourself a, a CCC. <laughs> that's a, hey, well, I'm going to ask a follow up to that, Jim. What do you got to work on now? What am I working on now? I think I'm working on. I'm still working on delegation. I still feel like I have to touch everything. I still feel like um, I need to read everything that goes out. I've got a bit of an editor's eye, so I I see things that are often missed by other people. I have complete trust for my executive team. They're very smart, very capable, but I still find myself having to dive in. I'd really like to, to peel back. Um, I want to go back to the vulnerability question too, because I just realized there's something else that really changed me from a humility standpoint. I've got three kids and one is uh, 25, one is 23 and one is 18. And if anything is going to make you vulnerable and make you have, have self-reflection, it's children in their twenties. Um, not so much in their, in their early years, they tested me during their teen years, but now that they're in their twenties, their level of thought, their level of, of, of their own self-reflection and retrospection has really given me pause to think about how I could change things and be more vulnerable. And vulnerability is tough for a Marine, let me tell you. It's, it's, well, it's tough for any executive. I think that's one of the greatest leadership things that, that we can bring forward is to bring that, bring that out. The more vulnerable we are, more, more aware of what we're not aware of is a great learning tool for each and every one of us. And don't forget, there's a great line in the in the movie Replacements. For those of you who remember that movie, Gene Ackman turned to Canada Reeve and said, don't, don't forget, winners always want the ball. So it's tough for entrepreneurs to do that. It's tough for business leaders not to want the ball all the time. So yeah. I, I feel you. I feel you. Ro, how about another question? One last one or what, however many you want to go. But Mark Haynes asked a question that's kind of in this vein. He says, do you think that, quote, be kind, be mindful, be considerate, be human is here to stay? And he adds, it's a shame that it took a pandemic for us to be reminded of these ideals. But do you think this vulnerability of kindness and the rest, I guess, will, will translate 
maybe outside of business? I hope. I mean, I hope it will. I personally am going to try to practice it. Look, sometimes we get myopic, right? We're focused on the prize. We all have these goals. It's not intended to not be human or not be considerate. It's this myopic focus to be driven, to be determined, and to be an owner, to be an operator, to be a leader, to, to have thousands of employees follow your lead. That, that myopia sometimes gets, or tunnel vision, it allows for you not to create that awareness and not have peripheral vision. It's not intended as to be purposeful. It just happens. So I think for me, looking at the periphery, ensuring that my, my, the culture of our company, the values of our company are consistent, and that we remind ourselves of those three principles, be kind, be considerate, be mindful. And look, our mission statement says that. We've been practicing this since 1989, but sometimes the walls close in, you get focused, there's pressure that come from a lot of external forces um, that are beyond your control, a pandemic, not at our fault. We've lost tens of millions of dollars. So now how do we stay Focus on the prize, recovery, shareholder value, long-term growth, and maintain that civility. That's my job. So if it fails, it failed because I didn't do it right. Somebody left a good uh, point here. It says, closing is temporary. A reputation is forever. John wants to know if you could go back and give yourself advice as a business person. What advice would you give yourself? You know, it's something that I've, I've contemplated. I've had a lot of dialogue with my, my incredible wife of 25 years with this, which is how do you take this dogged determination, this steadfast loyalty, this, this winner's mentality that becomes almost a negative to some people? You're too driven. You're too hard. Your expectations are too high. You're too demanding. How do you find that, that blend to be hyper-focused and, and, and be a leader and, and, and get wins along the way and meet your goals and almost be passive at the same time? I don't know how to do it, but I would tell myself to look internally earlier. I waited too long, you know, from the 80s into the 90s. You know, I had a general manager when I was, look, I started in this business selling memberships. I applied for a job. They told me I wasn't qualified. I had to beg. I had to beg for that job. My first leads came out of the phone book. And about six months into that, um, I had a manager say, you know, it's not your sales skill. It's that you're being a Marine instead of being a civilian. <laughs> right? So that was one of the first things. And then I read this quote that said, once a Marine, you'll never become a civilian, but you will become a veteran. And that is the difference, right? So, yeah. I would remind myself earlier to have that dogged determination, have that steadfast loyalty, be a goal achiever, be a goal setter, be a goal breaker, but maybe not create so much damage along the way. And by damage, I mean really just in personnel, because if you couldn't keep up, I left you in my wake. And I probably should have slowed down and brought more people with me. I can imagine those sales call. You will, you will join. You will, you will lose weight. You will. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. <laughs> I can imagine that. I can imagine that. That I think that's a great lesson though, Jim, about how can we, and I think that's my takeaway from this interview. And there's a number of them, but the biggest one is, you know, how can we be tough? How can we be that person? Because we have to there, you know, you know, why, why do we do it? Because we have to. 
Someone's got to. You look in the mirror, who's responsible for it? You. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to bring those values forward of giving, of sharing, of being human and building that team. And, and you know, for some of us, it takes us a little longer to get there. But once we get there, boy, what can we do with it? And we see that every day with our hero culture, our hero values in putting people above profits. I, I commend you for doing what you did with the employees, commend you for taking care of their health. That That's that's a hero business. That's, that's a hero culture. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. Everybody give them, give them, give them a big round of applause, some, some uh, some C's and some claps. That's awesome. Jim, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate having you here on the show today. Great thank you. It meant a lot to me and uh, really appreciate everything you're doing at C-Suite Network. And uh, anytime uh, you'd have me back, I'd be more than welcome. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.